test. Test, one, two, test. Test, is it working? Well, it's great to be back, and thanks for joining me today again for a lesson from God's Word. As you know, or may not know yet, we're in a series of messages called, Now What? And we're hitting some highlights in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible of 66 or 27 in the New Testament. So it's the very last book of the Bible. And we're going to talk today about holy war. <laughs> and I will have to continue that message actually next week because I threw so much good stuff out that I just couldn't pack into for today's message because time would not be enough. I love the book of Revelation, and we already said that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the tribulation, or the Antichrist, or the beast, or the number 666, though some of those things, or all of those things actually, are in there, but it is mainly, and most of all, the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you read the book of Revelation in the right way. That's very important, in the right way. And I know what I'm talking about because I've been reading the Bible now for close to 37 or 30, 37 years. And, uh, and I've studied it for 32 years. So, and I've already studied the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and end times, which, by the way, the word end times is not in the Bible. It says the last days, but not end times. But I've studied the subject uh, many times. But for the last years, I actually took a break because, honestly, even I was confused. And I saw so many different views, and they all se seemed to contradict each other. So I decided, you know, if it's not about salvation, if it's not necessary to be saved, to believe a certain things, you know, it's not quite that important, and we shouldn't be so dogmatic about things that are not necessary to actually be saved, to be a child of God. You know, we have to be lovingly and, and, and understandingly dogmatic about things that really matter, like Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life, no one comes to the Father except through Him. But there are certain things that are not necessary to be a child of God. You can believe it either way. Though I believe with all my heart 
that many people have read or are reading the book of Revelation and end time things in general in a wrong way. You know, Hollywood uh, did their part uh, towards the problem and some books uh, that have been published that, uh, for instance, the Left Behind series and other stuff has added to that. But when we study the Bible truly and deeply and like a, like a theologian, you find out that things may be different. So I don't expect you to agree with me on everything. You know, everybody is wrong in some ways. I'm just kidding. But uh, um, I believe it's good when you think about these things that you hear about and you come to your own conclusion. Here's what I found out. It used to uh, give me much fear when I thought about the book of Revelation. I've talked to many people where it's brought fear into their life by reading and studying the book of Revelation as I believe in a wrong way. When you do uh, read Revelation in the right way, I believe you see beauty. I really do. I, I believe you see beauty. I, I believe you, you're not going to be afraid. Actually, you'll be assured of, of the end, you know, the, the goal where this is all headed towards. I believe, you know, you don't see uh, violence, really, if you, if you read it in the right way. But you'll see the glory of Jesus. You'll see the love of God. And you see God's end goal. Now, we have to understand this. The Bible is one message. It's not two messages or three messages. It has, uh, you know, stories in it, sub-stories. But basically, it is one story. It is God's story and one message, one unified story that leads to Jesus. Let's repeat this. The Bible is one message. The Bible is God's story. It's one story from cover to cover. And it is one unified story that leads to Jesus. Let me illustrate with uh, Jesus' first coming to the earth uh, about 2,000 years ago. That's one chapter of the whole story. Jesus came for the first time. He was born in Bethlehem, and we call that the first coming or the first advent of the Messiah, and he came to die. So he was born. He lived a sin-free life. He died after working miracles and forgiving and and teaching, he, he taught, he healed, he set free. And uh, then he died because he was falsely accused of being a, a blasphemer, you know, uh, saying he's God. He died, he shed his blood, the devil thought he won, but quite contrary, uh, Jesus knew if he kills me, I will win. And then he was put into the grave. He rose from the dead. And we know he confirmed everything he claimed to be by rising from the dead. And then 40 days after his resurrection, he was taken into heaven. He ascended back to the Father. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And I'm telling you all this because it is truly one story. 
It is not two stories. And the first Christians, they didn't, you know, uh, really celebrate Christmas or Good Friday. I don't even know if they celebrated Easter. I actually believe that the reason they picked uh, the first day of the week, which we now call Sunday, it was called Sunday later, uh, but, uh, but they, they picked the first day of the week to, to come together, to, to have their time of meeting, and, and to, to have church, so to speak, because that was the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So basically, they celebrated Easter every week. And that's what we do as a church uh, as we gather on Sundays on the first day of the week. So that's one message. It's Jesus' first coming. It's not uh, divided up into Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. No, he was born to die, to rise again, and to conquer uh, death, hell, and the grave, and to, to, to win the war of a sin, and to die for our sins. And all these are awesome things. And in Austria, where I live, we have a holiday for all those things, you know. We even have a holiday for Good Friday, and we have a holiday, obviously, for Christmas and Easter all around the world. But it's one message. And that's the way the first Christians for sure saw it. Uh, and, and not as, well, let's celebrate Christmas now, let's celebrate Easter now. Let's celebrate uh, why he came, that he came, why he came. And it was more or less one unified message. And he won the victory by laying down his life to shed his blood for our sins. He conquered, he beat, he crushed the enemy, he crushed the head of the serpent, and uh, he conquered hell, death, and the grave. So we have the whole Bible as creation and redemption. Uh, we have in the, in the book of Revelation, we have also redemption, judgment, and restoration. But I want you to realize the whole Bible tells us one story. It's all one story, and it's all one goal that God has. And God has not changed His goal. And He has not given up on His goal either. Um, and Jesus is not a different Jesus in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Uh, he's not a different Jesus on the cross as He will be at His second coming, at His return. And in Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday uh, and today and forever. So it is one story. It's actually from Eden to Eden, so to speak. See, God made man. He put them into the Garden of Eden, into paradise. They were naked. There was no... No um, shame, there was no guilt, they weren't naked. And we know after chapter 3 in Genesis, it all went downhill. Uh, you know, sin separated man from God. Uh, guilt came um, and, 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 you know, it's called the fall of man. But uh, in the first two chapters of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2, 
you have the creation, you have the paradise, you have, uh, you have the Garden of Eden. And that's where the thing is headed toward. Eden was lost and Eden will be restored from a Garden of Eden to a global Eden. That's what the Bible says. Now, I talked to a couple of my brothers. I have five brothers with me. We're six brothers. Uh, I talked with a couple of them uh, the last week. Uh, they've also been Christians for, you know, over 30 years. They're very solid men of God in the Word. And uh, I, I, I talked to them a little bit about the end time theories I'm doing right now. The end time series I'm doing right now, the, the, talking about the book of Revelation and, uh, and how it should not be a book of fear and, you know, being afraid of a, of a, of a rapture that will, you know, take half the people or, or whoever away and, and then in a, a, a tribulation. And, and I, I talked to them about this stuff and they were really glad to hear that finally, you know, I'm not the only one by far to talk that way. Far from it. A lot of good theologians, uh, you know, see Revelation in that light where Jesus is the center, where beauty and restoration is the goal. And it's a hopeful book. It's a joyful book, understood rightly. And my brothers, both of them, one lives in the States, in America, one lives in Germany. They were really glad to hear some of the things I've been talking about because we all grew up with this uh, really intense, uh, <laughs> left-behind type of uh, fearful, uh, you know, um, horrible scenarios of the end times that we grew up with and we were taught. And um, in my studies, I found out that things are different. And, and um, it is a, a hopeful future that we look into. And uh, God's goal is not destruction. God's goal is restoration. He wants to save what is lost. Jesus himself said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, uh, St. Paul says this, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God our Savior, He's our Savior, not our condemner. He's our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I believe that. Does that mean everybody will be saved? No, it doesn't say that. But it does say that God's desire is to save, to save everyone, for everyone to believe. John 3.16, so, so much did God love the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. So that is God's goal. You know, I have six children, and now I have grandchildren. I have a friend who has 11 kids. You know, the more kids you have, the higher the chances are that one of them or a couple of them will not turn out the way you'd like them to. And, you know, um, we all have a free will. And, and, but our desire as dads or mothers or parents is, you know, to have our children walk in the light, to walk in the truth. That's obvious. Uh, the epistles of John. John says the same thing. I desire for my children, my spiritual children, 
to, to walk in the truth, to walk in the light. We want that. God wants that. But that does not mean everyone will. And all what I've said now is that's the reason you have that desire. You have that longing for God. You may not know that you do. I mean, if you know Christ, it, this obviously resonates with you. You know what I'm talking about. But if you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, then you have what Pascal calls this, this God-shaped vacuum in your heart that only He can fill. Now, if, if that vacuum is, 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 is round, you cannot press a square uh, thing into it. You know, only... Only the round thing will fit, and it's like God-shaped. Only God will fit into that. That's what the amazing uh, scientist, smart guy, uh, theologian Pascal said. So, but we do have this longing. We do have this longing for God. Now, in, in, in Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher put it this way, God has put eternity into man's heart. He put eternity into man's heart. There is, we are spirit beings. We are made by a God who breathed life into us. We, we are made in His image. So we have this longing, this desire for Him, for God. He made you and me for Himself, for relationship with Him, for fellowship, for eternity, for love. And the only way that will ever be satisfied is by knowing Him, by serving Him. But that's the reason He put that in you. So I believe in a God who is eager to save. You know, contrary to some preachers I hear nowadays, you know, who basically say only a remnant, only a few will be saved. Well, the remnant idea is actually an idea from the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Um, the New Testament seems to teach that uh, the kingdom of God is growing. You know, it starts as a mustard seed and it's growing and it is growing. We have more Christians today than ever before. And there's persecution, obviously especially in some areas of the world. But you study this for yourself. Christianity, the kingdom of God, is growing. And the remnant theology is not really New Testament. Quite contrary. God's kingdom is growing. And Jesus prayed, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have a longing for Eden, for the the new heaven, the new earth. Now, let me read that to you. My son sent this to me, he, whose, whose girl's name is Eden. She was born a few days ago. So we became grandparents for the second time. And he, he wrote this to me about Eden. Eden is our real home. That's what, where God wants us. God made it for us humans. We are designed to live, flourish, and rule with Him in His presence. Now we long for Eden, our true home. We long for heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Eden. So Eden is where we are headed. From the Garden of Eden to the global Eden. And that's incredible because we have an awesome future. And we already know Jesus won. He won the first time. He, he won the war against hell, death and the grave and sin. When he's coming back. 
He will consummate the whole thing. He will bring it to fulfillment. It will be incredible. So, um, and Eden is, is a place. It will be a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. But the, the great part about Eden is not that uh, it, it's this place, which is awesome. I mean, this globe is awesome too. There's some incredible, incredible uh, places on this planet. Uh, but the main thing about Eden is who's there. God will be there. He will dwell amongst us, his people. He will be here, like in the Garden of Eden, walk with us and talk with us and live with us, and we rule and reign with him. That's what it's all about. And that's what God's put into your heart, and you will not be satisfied no matter what you try, no matter what you do. Uh, you have to find him to be truly satisfied. Now, I want to I wanna give you the challenge. I've done this a couple times, I believe, and I told one of my brothers this as well last week, who's read the Bible now for 30 years. I said, hey, read Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of the Bible, then go and read the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, Genesis 1 and 2, and then Revelation 21 and 2, the first two, the last two chapters of the Bible, read them in one sitting, and then you get the picture of one story, where it started and where it's going to end forever and ever. That's God's goal, and God has not given up on that goal. Now, from Eden to Eden, what's in between that, that's what troubles us, you know? That's why we have times of difficulties and trials and tribulation on this planet. Right here, see, that's what's what's giving us the trouble. But, but realize this, we are the kingdom of God. You are a kingdom person if you, if you trust in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God. You are a daughter or a son of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You have the victory. You have won already through Jesus. Though you don't see it, see it everywhere yet, it's truth. And he will come again to bring everything, to consummate everything. Now, um, it's not about how you feel now. It is a reality, though everything is not seen yet. And that's why we, we await for the return of Christ. Now, the gospel means that, that, that man rebelled against God. He was disobedient. We call that sin. He sinned against God. You know, the serpent came. One of the angelic serpentine creatures, fallen creatures, came and deceived humans. And he said, well, you can be God. It's the same lie as, as you have today. You can be your own God. Why are you letting somebody else tell you what you can do? You tell yourself what you can do. You are God. Biggest lie. It's, it's, this lie is alive and well today. Um, and the, the consequence was uh, death, shame, uh, you know, fear, all those things, and death was the consequence. Uh, and man was lost. And God came himself to redeem us, to save us, because God is love. And God is truth. Now, that's two very important facts. God is love. In 1 John 4, 
verse 8, and then he repeats it in verse 16. And two times the Apostle John says in 1 John, the first letter of John, chapter 4, God is love. And in, in uh, John 14, in the Gospel of John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we know that God is love and that God is truth. It also says that in, in uh, not in 1 John, in, in John, it should say John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Full of love and truth. Grace and truth. Grace is love. Truth is righteousness. He's, he's love and He's righteous. He's loving and righteous. So He cannot just go and say, hey, let's act like nothing happened. No. God in His love has to punish punish sin. And you know, in His love, He did it for he did it himself for us. He paid the penalty, penalty for us. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's talking about Christ. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's awesome. On the cross, God put sin on Jesus. He made him sin. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. He carried our sin. He carried our guilt. And he said it is finished. He paid the sin debt in full. So he became sin on the cross and we are made the righteousness of God in Christ forever. That is awesome. See, truth without love makes legalistic legalism. We see many Christians who are all about truth, but they lack the love and the grace, and that makes very legalistic. Now, like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were actually good guys. They, uh, you know, at the time of Jesus, they became extremely legalistic. They were to preserve the truth. They preserved the Word of God, the things of God, and they did it with great zeal, but the love was out. The love was gone. So truth without love makes legalists. And love without truth is universalism. It's basically saying, well, we need to let everybody do what they want to do. If it, if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. But to tolerate everything is not the solution. And it's not love. It's not love. If I love my children, I'm not going to tolerate everything they do. I want to make sure they go on the right path. I will correct them. I will correct them lovingly, but also, you know, uh, I will do it sternly. I will do it in a way that they realize, hey, that's the wrong way. Don't go there. Go the right way because love and truth are inseparable. 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 They are not to be separated, love and truth. Um, and the cross of Christ embodies both. It embodies the love of God and also the wrath of God. It embodies 
the love and the truth. And many see a contradiction in that, but it's not because God judged sin. God in his righteousness had to judge sin and that happened on the cross and Christ did it for us. Jesus came to pay the penalty in full. He paid the price in full. He was judged. He was, uh, he took yours and my place and by becoming sin, though he never sinned, we become the righteousness of God though we were never righteous. Not one day. There is none righteous. No, not one. In Romans 3 verse 10, Paul makes that very, very clear. So Jesus paid the full price. Judgment took place. He won the victory over evil. But here's the important point. Very much different than expected. Very much different than expected. What did the Jesus Jesus' first disciples expect. What they expected, that Jesus would take over the kingdom. He would take the kingdom away from the Romans and establish his, his own kingdom. You know, they were ready to take over by the sword, you know, really. But Jesus won the victory, and they did not get it. On Saturday, between, you know, uh, crucifixion day and resurrection day, they were bummed out, is, 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 is saying it lightly. They were crushed. Their life was over. They were absolutely crushed. They were in deep depression. They did not know what was going on. They expected victory, but they expected victory in a different way, in a completely different way. And they didn't know. The devil didn't know. I'll show you that in a second. But I also believe when Jesus comes again, it will be in a, he will win. He's, he's already won, but it will be in a different way than probably most, most of you expect or most, most of the world expects. So very important that we realize Jesus won the victory. We're on the right side, and I don't even need to know every detail. Actually, we're not made, or we shouldn't even know every detail about the future, because our future should be trusted in the hands of God. We should trust Him with our future and not try to know the future, which is, you know, in the world, that's divination. That's, that's evil. That's forbidden in the Bible. We should know what we can know. We know He comes again. He know He has won. He know will bring a new heaven, a new earth, a global Eden. We know all that. That's wonderful. But trying to figure out every detail and trying to, you know, predict everything, it's not right. We shouldn't. And that's why in these things I'm not that dogmatic about it, except the fact that Jesus is love, that He's truth. He won already. He's not here to destroy. He's not coming to destroy. He's coming to restore I'm very dogmatic about that because that's what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach a total destruction. Yes, he will win over evil, but how he will do it, you'll have to come back next week as we finish this story with uh, another session on holy war because this message on holy war, I'm not finishing today. I'm giving you the first installment and then next time the, the final installment and the final part of the series. Now, what? So, it, it, it shows us very clearly that Jesus has won, 
but in a different way does, does the disciples expect it. And I, I have a hunch it will be the same way when he comes again. It will be quite different uh, than he would, he would um, a lot of people think. You know, I'm going to talk about next week about Armageddon. I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the mark of the beast. I'm going to talk about how he overcomes evil, how he will defeat evil when he comes back on the white horse with the, the, the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That's Revelation 19, 11 uh, and onward. Uh, I will talk about all that next week, how the war will be finished and victory consummated and the new heaven and the new earth ushered in. So come back next week. Let's read Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over Him, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. How did they conquer? Who is they? That's us. All believers, the holy ones, the people of God. How did they overcome? How do they overcome? How do we win? By the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony of Jesus Christ. We testify. We uh, proclaim our faithfulness, our allegiance to the Lamb. That's our testimony. Our testimony is Jesus. And we do not shrink back from that. No matter what it might cost us financially or socially or in any way, we do not shrink back from that. The blood of the Lamb has cleansed us, has won the victory. And our faithfulness to the Lamb and our testimony of our faithfulness to the Lamb that's our victory. Jesus has won. How? Different than uh, they thought. And uh, how do we win? Well, different than most people think because we don't win by, by grabbing a physical sword. We win by grabbing the Word of God, the, the armor of God as, as described in Ephesians 6 with the, the belt of truth and the, the breastplate of righteousness and the the boots of readiness to proclaim the good news and the shield of faith, the, the, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the spear of prayer. And, and these are all spiritual weapons, not physical weapons. And we lay down our lives as a lamb and we testify that He is the only true and living God. Now, let me come to a close. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 2. Chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Uh, and it's Paul writing about, you know, also the things we've just talked about. He says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So he's talking about the cross. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message, the message of the cross, and my preaching 
were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, so this world and, and the people reigning in the worldly system now, who are coming to nothing. They'll all be gone because Jesus will take over and establish his kingdom. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God designed for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. So none of them, Herod, the, the Caesars, the Roman, none, nobody understood it, as many don't today. For if they had, if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. See, the, the Satan who's behind that system didn't know that by actually killing him, he would make him the victor. Jesus knew he has to kill me so I can be victorious. And Satan and his agent, agents did not realize it. They don't understand love. See, the devil does not get love. And because he does not understand love, he didn't know what was going on because Jesus loved by giving, by stretching out his hands and dying for us. And then he rose again and conquered death, hell, and the grave. But the, the rulers of this age didn't know. Satan himself didn't know. Nobody, the demons didn't know. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan's goal was to eradicate Jesus, to, to get him out of the way. <laughs> and he did it exactly. So that's also a, a great lesson how, that evil always destroys itself. And I think in a similar way, when Jesus comes again, he won't have to do much of destruction because evil actually, when truth comes, lies will disappear. When light comes, darkness goes. Uh, you know, evil always has a way of destructing, being self-destructive. And we see that here. Satan would not have crucified Jesus if, would, if he would have realized that that's the way to victory for Jesus and all of us because he doesn't understand. He may have a lot of knowledge, but no insight, no wisdom. They would have not glorified the Lord of glory. See, it, the, the victory is different. Jesus' victory is different. He lays down his life as we should in this world, as we, as we live and, 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 and serve and give and, and, and build the kingdom of God. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit in the New Testament. By the indwelling Spirit, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So, this is incredible. Jesus won by dying. And Satan thought, I'm going to kill him and I, I have him out of the way. And ex that exactly shows how self-destructive evil is. Jesus won when he came the first time. Jesus will win. Actually, he will just consummate the victory and bring everything to fulfillment. All the realities that are already real, that we are the righteousness, we are the kingdom, we are children, we are sons and daughters of the Most High, 
of, of Yahweh. We are um, in the eternal kingdom of God now. And all these things will then be consummated and will be, uh, will be ushering in a global new heaven and new earth, a global Eden. It's incredible. Next week, we're going to start with Revelation 19. Let me read you the first couple of verses. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and his head, on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, his own blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's God's people. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Now, this is out of his mouth, not in his hand, you know, uh, making a bloodbath or something like that. I don't think that's going to be the way it is. Uh, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name, this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now that's our starting point next week as we, we talk about how will Jesus actually uh, win the final war, win the final war of evil and deception over lies and darkness, and, and we're going to talk about all these things. We're going to talk about, um, you know, even Armageddon a little bit and the, 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 the Mark of the Beast and 666 and, and uh, some of the stuff that, you know, people are so confused about. So don't miss last next week, the final part of this series, Now What? And let us trust the Lamb. Let's believe in the Lamb. Let's pledge our allegiance to the Lamb of God. Let's not shrink back, but be faithful to Him no matter what. Let us pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your holy written Word. We thank You so much for Your living Word, the Messiah Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, You came the first time to win the victory, and You did. It is finished. It is done. Now we live in a world that is, you know, reigned, uh, ruled, by the God of this world, which is Satan. But you are coming back, Jesus, to take over, to defeat all lies and all deception and all darkness. And you will usher in the fulfillment of your kingdom on a new heaven, on a new earth, in a new Eden, in a new Jerusalem. We thank you for that. You're not about destruction. You're about restoration. You are not about, you know, people being lost but saved. You're about uh, growing your kingdom. And that's what we want, your kingdom to be expanded by what we do as your followers. If you don't know Christ, you're not part of the kingdom, enter it today. The, the gate is narrow because it's only one way. It's Jesus. The, the road to destruction is broad because there's so many ways and so many lies. The truth is Christ died for you. And you need a Savior because you are not perfect. Heaven's perfect. No matter how good you think you might be, you are not. <laughs> you need a Savior. There's only one good, that's God. There's only one righteous, that's God. 
And he gifts you righteousness. He gives you the righteousness of God by his grace and limitless love. He loves you so much he would have died for you if you were the only one. Pray this to come into the kingdom, to be part of the family of Jesus. Dear Jesus, I trust you. I come to you. I believe that you shed your blood for me for the forgiveness of my sins. Wash me white as snow. Wash me completely clean now from all sin and guilt and shame. I give my life to you. I trust you. I want to live for you. Jesus, you're the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the name above all names. I now belong to God's kingdom, the family of God. In Jesus' name. I love you. Don't miss next week. It will be exciting. Uh, same time, same place. And looking forward to seeing you.